All right. Good morning, City Light. How are we doing? Good morning. Good morning. Uh, it's the Lord's Day. Amen. It's going to be a great time together in God's Word. If you want to open your Bible to Philippians chapter 2. Uh, and if you don't have a scripture journal, please raise your hand. We'd love to give this gift to you. It is so that you can learn to read the Bible and engage with it. So this is very important. I want to not just teach you the Bible, but teach you how to read the Bible so that you can grow on your own with the Lord. And so take this scripture journal as our gift to you. Mark it up. Put notes in it. So raise your hand right now if you need a scripture journal. And somebody in the back. Rachel. Yes. Great. Okay. Uh, we'll bring it to you. So hold them high. Work on your whatever muscle allows you to do this for a long period of time. I'm not sure. But, yeah, work on that. Uh, we'll bring it to you. Hey, a couple uh, pieces of good news before we jump in. The first is two weeks ago we prayed for AJ and Hannah's little boy, Isaiah. Uh, and he has been recovering. And so we're very thankful for that. Yes, Lord. <laughs> Praise God. I'm going to uh, read you. I'm going to read you the text that AJ sent me this morning. I asked him for an update to share with you. Uh, and this is what he said. He said, Isaiah is a fighter. He has exceeded all the doctor's expectations. Everyone is surprised by how fast he is recovering. He has some brain injury, and they don't know how bad it will be until he gets older. But they are expecting him to come home sooner than later. Please express our gratitude to the church for all their prayers and support. God is a miracle worker. One of Isaiah's doctors said that she's been monitoring patients like Isaiah, and she's surprised by how well he is doing. So, amen. Give the Lord one more clap of hands. Let's praise him. Amen, amen. Uh, so really good news. You know, if you weren't here a couple weeks ago, a couple in our congregation, AJ and Hannah, gave birth to a baby boy uh, who was really honestly on the brink of death, and they were not sure how it was going to uh, happen, what was going to happen. And so in that moment, we came together and prayed as a church, and now God has supernaturally intervened. So I want to encourage you, don't do the thing in your heart where you say, well, that probably would have happened anyways. Don't do that. Don't do that. Believe that the people of God prayed and God heard the prayers and responded in faith. Otherwise, there's no point. And so let's believe with faith. Whatever the Lord used. He uses doctors. He uses prayers. He uses medicine. All of that. And he supernaturally intervenes. And so praise God for that. Praise God for your prayers. So let's continue to lift them up in prayer. Obviously, he'll be coming home and he will live. Praise the Lord. Um, they're still wondering what kind of damage might have been done to his brain. So continue to pray for a full recovery of his body and his brain, everything about him. Uh, AJ and Hannah are his parents, so pray for them. And uh, we actually have a meal train. So if you would like to be involved in supporting them that way, just talk to a staff member or somebody here. If you're new, somebody that looks like they know what they're doing, okay, they probably, they probably know them. So uh, we'd love to connect you with that link so that you can supply um, some dinner to make these next few weeks a little easier for them as they navigate this next um, season. So, but first of all, praise the Lord for that. Thank you for your prayers. Secondly, another uh, piece of good news is this week, last week, we had a meeting for the very first time with Graham Road Elementary, which is right here on the right. Uh, we could walk there from here. And so we've been um, trying to see how we can serve that community. 90% of their kids come from Kingsley Commons, which is right, a neighborhood right here on the right. Like you could walk there from here as well, very close. And so to serve them is to serve our community. And so the Lord opened the door, and so I want to go ahead and together we're going to pray for Isaiah, and we're going to pray for the opportunity here at Graham Road, for their staff, for their faculty, for everyone there that works so hard. Uh, obviously, they were sharing how difficult it is. As many of you teachers and uh, school faculty know, 
to navigate the COVID regulations within a school setting with little children. So uh, it's, it's, a, it's a puzzle piece, and they're doing a good job. So we want to bless them, and obviously, as always, we want to share the love of Jesus and bless the community with the word of God. So now let's pray for those two things. Uh, please pray with me. Don't just listen to me pray. Let's pray together. So let me pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. Thank you for this time now in your word. We thank you, Lord, for your mercy and your grace on Isaiah's life. What a special, special gift from you, Lord. We do not deserve things to work out. And you've been so kind, Lord, to heal and to bring healing. So we just thank you for your mercy. Thank you for hearing prayers. Thank you that you are alive, Lord. This is not some dead religion, God. And we serve the living God. And so we thank you just for listening to your people. Uh, Lord, we pray now that you would continue to help him to heal, to make a full recovery, God. We pray against any brain damage. We pray against any long-term effects. We pray for a complete, holistic, body, soul recovery, Lord, that you would just bless him altogether and that he would grow up to be a man of God who loves you and serves you and helps share with you, helps share about you with so many people, Lord. We pray for AJ, Hannah. Uh, their other little daughter, Emma, God, just that you comfort them, that you give them wisdom to navigate this next season, and that you continue to use them to demonstrate, Lord, your power, that your glory would be known in that hospital with those nurses and doctors, God, and everyone who helps them uh, make your name famous there, Lord. So we love you. We ask this in Jesus' name. We also ask... Uh, for Graham Road Elementary, Lord, we thank you for how hard they're working to take care of students in this area, God, and to do everything they can to bless them. We pray that you would strengthen them, that you would help them, that you would give them wisdom, Lord, to navigate all of the things they have to take care of every day. We thank you for the open door, and we pray that you would use this opportunity to bless our community, Lord, that we would be able to bless students and bless parents and bless faculty and staff, Lord, and do it all in the name of Jesus, God. So just use this to advance the gospel. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen, amen, amen. So Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 11, we're in our third week in Philippians out of 7. Today's sermon is called, What Goes Down Must Come Up. What goes down must come up. The law of gravity will teach you that what goes up must come down. But there's another law that we ought to know and understand, a spiritual principle of the kingdom of God. I'm calling it today the law of glory. The law of gravity says what goes up must come down, but the law of glory says what goes down must come up. And this is what it looks like to live in the kingdom of God according to kingdom principles. We all know that if you reject or deny the law of gravity, you will destroy yourself without a doubt. We also should know and learn today that if you reject or deny the law of glory, you will also destroy yourself. Humility, as we will see today, is a necessity. Not an option, not a great characteristic I hope to get. No, 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 it's a necessity for living life in the kingdom of God. And some of you have been doing your whole life backwards and you're trying to go up by going up. You're trying to advance by getting better, manipulating your circumstances, knowing the right people, getting the right degree. You're trying to go up to become somebody, to be important, to be significant, to make a difference, to be somebody. You're trying to go up but you're trying to do it by going up. And the Lord wants to reveal to you today there is another way, a better way. As a matter of fact, it's the exact opposite of how you would naturally do things. Jesus is gonna give us an example, and we're going to learn today what does it look like to pursue a life of humility as a necessity, because what goes down in God's kingdom is what goes up. So let's look at this together. 
Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 11 say this. So, if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Amen. That'll preach. I think we're done today. I don't know what else. I can add to that, it's amazing. I have been completely, utterly wrecked all week, and I pray, my prayer has been two things. That seeing the example of Jesus here would make you love him so much more. Just admire him and adore him and appreciate him for what he has done, and that at the same time, it would completely destroy your pride. That you would see God, who chose to be humble and become a man, and then think it ridiculous that you would ever try to be somebody. We follow the way of Jesus now. And for those of you who are here, you say, man, I'm not a Jesus follower, I'm learning, I'm interested, I'm here to see what that's all about. I want you to see this beautiful, wonderful Savior. There is no other story like this story. And there is no other God who would act this way. That's why we see he's the true and living God. Nobody would make this story up. This is not how we perceive God's to be. But Jesus reveals himself in an utterly, totally different way. And I want to invite you in to learn what Jesus is really like this morning. So starting in verse 1, we're going to work our way through. We're going to learn several things, all with one kind of aim, is to see and, and savor who Jesus is. So Paul starts in verse 1. Hey, if there's any encouragement in Christ, comfort from love, participation in the Spirit, complete my joy by being of the same mind, same love, full accord, and of one mind. What we learned from the get-go is that God loves and cares so much about unity. Unity is on a high priority for God. As a matter of fact, is it a necessity for God's people? And just like any parent wants their children, their sons and daughters, to be unified and to show love towards one another, to not bicker or waste time on foolish arguments, so the Lord, as our Father, wants his sons and daughters to get along, to show love to be kind and gracious towards one another. Same heart, same mind. This is why uh, before our service, those of you who come pre-service, one of the things we say is one heart and soul from Acts 4.32. This is a great depiction of the body of Jesus. One heart, one soul, one mind, unified around one person, Jesus Christ. And it can only happen in a supernatural space like the body of Jesus. 
So Paul's saying, listen, if you have received anything from Jesus, any love, any comfort, if you have been participating in his spirit, if you have received any of the benefits of knowing God, then because of all of that, show love to one another, be unified, be one, be together, because the thing that brought you together was never each other in the first place. It was Jesus. And if you've received anything from him, why don't you live according to what he loves? Unity. Something we'll see throughout this text and we see in the Bible is important is that humility is essential for unity and unity is essential for testimony. Jesus said it so himself. They will know you by your love towards one another. John 17, if you love one another, the world will know that you are my disciples. Before Jesus went to the cross, his primary prayer for the people of God was that they would be one, unified, together, one heart, one mind. And if you read the scriptures properly and you focus on this, you'll see that God hates, utterly despises, and calls division an abomination. He hates it. It isn't like, oh, well, I'd like them to get along. No. No, 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 it's a must, it's a must-have for God that his people would be unified. And I don't know about you, but I look around and I see lots of people in the name of Jesus fighting about things that don't matter. Fighting about things that are even important like politics, but do not have the role as Lord over their life. Grouping together based off preferences of how they wish America was governed. Fighting. I see Christians fighting about minor doctrinal differences, things that are secondary and tertiary that do not affect the believing and trusting in Jesus unto salvation. We agree upon that, and then we spend the majority of our time fighting about secondary things instead of loving and worshiping the thing we agree upon. I see too many of this. Christians just as guilty as gossiping, slander, bringing division, hating one another. This ought not to be so. It ought to be so different here. And by God's grace, I think, at least my perception of this church, and I think many of you as well, would be that God has given us a great grace of unity. There's a common mission, a common goal, and we're working on that together. And one of my favorite things and one of the reasons I think God is blessing this church currently is because of the unified spirit. And so I want to encourage us in that, and I want to continue to help you see that as people in the name of Christianity and Jesus spend all their time fighting about things that don't matter to keep your head alert and to not join them, Let's stay focused on the thing that matters and unify around the thing that matters most, Jesus Christ, his life, death, and resurrection. Let's be a people of the cross, and we can sort out everything else later. But I think so often we think, well, if we can't get along, no, God doesn't think that. Hates division, he loves unity. And so as a people, let's pursue unity together. So how do we become one? Same mind. Well, the first point is humility. If there is to be unity with all of us, there must be humility in each of us. If there is to be unity in all of us, collectively, there must be humility in each of us. This must be something we prize and cherish and practice and pursue to be humble. And as we're going to see from here, some characteristics of humility are going to help us. But I think one of the things we're going to learn today is that to live life in God's kingdom, it seems to be the primary characteristic in the scriptures to live a life in God's kingdom is humility. It's humility. And if you want to live a life that honors God and you want to navigate life in this world as a citizen of God's kingdom, then we must grow in, pursue humility. If there is to be unity with all of us, there must be humility in each of us. And so the goal of unity as one together starts with you. 
starts with me. And it starts with me and you being a people who pursue humility together. And if we do that, then we will have the byproduct of unity. So how do we do that? Verse 3. He says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not to his own interest, but to the interest of others. This is insane. So this is when you're reading the Bible, you need to stop, you know. Be like, what? This is not how the world works. Imagine you walked into your worker meeting tomorrow in your office. Like, okay, guys, I have a new plan, all right? This is how we're going to do things around here. Nobody does anything out of selfish ambition, which at some level the world might agree with. But then you say, listen, I want you to look around the room, and I want you to say, you're more important than me, you're more important than me, you're more important than me, you're more important than me. And I want you to, as a matter of fact, think you're the least important person here. That's how I would love for this place to work. And not only that, but when you think about your own needs, I want you to not worry about that. I want you to consider their needs more important than your own. Not like, oh, if I have extra time. No, 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 no. I want you to prioritize the needs of other people. Almost to the neglect of your own. Imagine walking to a college classroom and the teacher said, this is how we're going to do things here. No, no, no. That would not be accepted. People would leave. That would be crazy. Or they would say, that's a pipe dream. That's too idealistic. It's not how the world works. The spirit of the world, as you and I know, even if there's some preference towards others, is to really say, I have to get mine. I have to prioritize myself, love myself. I have to get mine. I have to express myself. I have to get mine. That's the spirit of the age that you and I live in. It's the spirit of every age in all of humanity. And so to do the opposite, I want you to see that it requires supernatural help. You cannot be this type of people apart from God's supernatural help. It just won't happen. So how do we pursue this? Look here. There's three words I think are important, or three phrases. Do nothing, count, and look. All of these are action words and phrases. They tell us to do something. And here's something that's so important for you leaving from here to actually apply this message and to become the type of humble person God wants you to be, is that humility is a habit. Humility is a habit. It's more, it's a habit. More than an attitude, more than a disposition, even more than a characteristic. It's a habit. It's a choice to say, I will choose to do nothing or to not do this thing out of selfish ambition. And if there's selfish ambition in it, I will choose to not do it. It's a choice to count. To count, to say, I'll count you, one, two, three, four, five, as more important than myself. To look around them and say, you're more important, 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 you're more important. Everywhere you go, walking around the grocery store, in the barbershop, you're going home, everybody. Say, you're, I'm counting each of you as more significant than myself. That's a choice. It's a habit. It's a habit to spend time looking to the needs of other people more than your own. Not as a byproduct of free time, not as a here and there thing, but to become the kind of person that actively looks to fulfill the needs of other people. And to count them as more significant, to say, I would rather your needs be met than my own. This is crazy. This is wild. But this is the supernatural community that God wants to build. And it's not as far off as you think because humility is a habit. Now the question is, are you making decisions and choices and implementing practices to become a person of humility? It's intentional. It must be intentional. It's not a pipe dream. And you don't just get it by hoping it comes. And you certainly, absolutely need to pray because it's a supernatural gift from God. But the Bible here says there's things you can do to be humble. Things you can cultivate, things you can practice. Do nothing from selfish ambition. Count other people more significant than yourself. Look to the needs of other people more than your own. 
And I would add, ask for God's supernatural help to do this well. Because it's totally against you and me. But that's what makes the community of God's people unique. Selfish ambition here, this phrase selfish ambition, is very important. Another way you could say it is a spirit of rivalry. Because the point of selfish ambition isn't just that it's for me, it's that it's for me and not for you. There would be no selfish ambition if you were the only person on the planet. Within selfish ambition is an unhealthy spirit of competition. I must get mine to the fact that you will not get yours because I will be higher and better than you. I will get more credit. I will be more uh, of a reputation. I will have a greater influence. I will get more. That is selfish ambition, a spirit of rivalry. Listen to me. Rivalry and jealousy kill unity, but humility will kill rivalry and jealousy. Rivalry and jealousy will kill unity. And if you bring a rival spirit into this room, a rival spirit into your lighthouse, a rival spirit at work, a rival spirit even within your family, a rival spirit amongst your peers, then you will kill unity because rivalry and jealousy kill unity. But humility will proactively kill the rivalry and jealousy that you struggle with. And these are the only two options. You're either letting rivalry and jealousy get a foothold in your life and begin to affect the way you think, or you're proactively making humility a habit so that you can prepare the way and have less struggles with rivalry and jealousy. Either humility is killing rivalry or rivalry is killing unity. Those are the only two ways that we can live. You need to choose. And you need to ask yourself, what does this look like in my own life? One of the things I've learned to do over time, because just like you, I struggle with a spirit of rivalry, competition, especially amongst your peers, all right? Everybody needs to look at me and like, yes, that's me, okay? Don't act like you're not the person who doesn't look at this or that, look at the friend's life or that and say, oh, I wish I did that, I wish I had that, why are they so successful, this and that, that, or another. That's been true for a long time, it's true for all of us. Now, uh, thank God it's a little bit less than it was before, but I remember I began to implement in my mid-20s, which is especially the time when you're trying to like get your footing in life, you know, and your friends around you that are maybe getting their footing quicker than you, you know, and they're being more successful uh, from the beginning than you. And I really struggled with that. And I began to do this practice. As soon as I felt jealousy, I would pray for God's blessing on them. It's a good habit. Humility is a habit, not a feeling. I felt jealousy. And I recognize that as sin, and I can't just wish it away. I had to be proactive. And so the Lord began to teach me, why don't you pray for God's blessing? Why don't you pray that the very thing you're jealous of, God would multiply it times 10? Why don't you pray that the influence they have, he would multiply it times 10? Why don't you pray that the favor on their life would be obvious to more people than it is now? Why don't you pray that God would bless them? And I'm telling you, I'm telling you, the Lord knows what he's talking about. In the midst of my cultivating a prayer life, for those I was jealous of, humility began to kill rivalry. And I'm telling you, it works. I became less and less concerned and honestly more and more grateful for their success. So go ahead and think about those people in your life right now. And I want you in a quiet moment in two seconds to pray a blessing on them. You know who they are. Ain't nobody in here got nobody on that. Think about it. Think about their faith. Think about their name. Think about why you might have a spirit of rivalry, jealousy, competition with them and pray that God would bless them and do it consistently. Every time you have that feeling rise up of rivalry and jealousy, 
Because in the Bible's way, the way up is down. Put yourself low. Pray for God's blessing on them. And God will not forget. We're going to see this later on today. Rivalry and jealousy kill unity. Humility kills rivalry and jealousy. This is why this is so important. Something else for you to write down is that a community of Christians, there should be collaboration instead of competition. Why? He says one mind, one love, full accord. Why? Because we're like a team, or better, a family. We're working together towards the same common goal, which is, if we're honest and pure about it, the exaltation of Jesus Christ, which has nothing to do with me or you. And we're working together towards this one goal, and now in the spirit of focusing on him, we can work together and collaborate towards this one thing, as opposed to competing for roles in that space. Things we think are more important according to worldly standards, to be this or be that. That's what John the Baptist said, I must decrease, he must increase. It's the decreasing that gives him the increasing. You know what we like to do? You increase a lot, I'll increase a little bit with you. It'll be great, you know? This is every preacher's struggle. I want them to think about Jesus, I also want them to think I'm a good preacher. You know, so let's do both, Lord. Let's get both happening, all right? Amen, praise the Lord. Let's do that. You guys all struggle with that, right? To say, yes, Lord, honestly, I want you to be glorified, that's true. I just want a little bit too, you know? like this. And the Lord said, no, it's the opposite. If I go up, it's because you went way down. As a matter of fact, they forgot who even preached the sermon. They were just blessed and they remembered a year from now something changed their life. They couldn't even name who the guy was. It doesn't matter. And that's what the Lord is wanting for us. A spirit of collaboration instead of competition. We work together. Because everybody in who, who follows sports knows, or really in life, that you can have great skill, but without chemistry, you will not be successful. Doesn't matter how many talent, how much talent you pull together, how many resources you pull together. It doesn't matter if there's no chemistry. It's chemistry is the thing that runs away from really good teams and doesn't make them great. It's chemistry that makes okay teams great teams. And that's what the Lord's after today. It's not about who brings what skill into the room, which is important. It's not about what the Lord has even asked you to do right now. It's about, hey, are we working together and building chemistry with one another? And we do that by pursuing the way of humility. I walk in the room, and you should walk in the room, and we should each be asking the question, how low can I go? Because you know what we all do? We walk in a room, and we evaluate our standing, and we posture ourselves accordingly, and we try to advance a little bit. Yes, come on. Y'all, come on. Y'all up here with me? Am I the only one who does this? You walk in a room, and you're like, okay, this is about where I stand. If I could advance a little bit, this is what I would do to do that. Maybe if I say this one really smart thing, they'll think this about me. Or maybe if I do this, this, and we're trying to advance. And the Bible says, oh, come on, come on, come on. Walk into a room and see how low you can go. Walk into a room and see if people can't even notice that you're there. Walk into a room and see how many people you can serve. Have your eyes looking for the least significant thing you could do. Because in God's eyes, that's probably the most significant thing. Oh, it's totally different. It's totally different. I'm telling you, it's so important. Because 24-7, you are being discipled by the media and the news and your people around you and everybody around you, your family and yourself, to think a totally different way. And one sermon one day is not going to change that forever. So now you got to go take what God is saying, go implement this in your life time and time again so that you can begin to be discipled as a person of humility that as we all walk into a room considering other people more significant than ourselves, we will build chemistry, and that chemistry will be effective for our testimony. God is not concerned with how many resources City Light has or what kind of skills are present in this church. God is concerned with whether we love one another. That's it. 
And the unity of God's people is where he blesses it. Which is why I think he's blessing this church now. And I just want to ask you guys to continue to pursue the way of humility. To continue to join together in one common mission. To avoid slander and gossip and fighting about things that don't matter. And to put your attention fully on Jesus Christ. And to walk into every room considering how you can serve one another. I'm telling you, if we keep doing that, the Lord will use this church. As he is. So there should be collaboration instead of competition. Now is a time where you should repent of a spirit of competition in your life. Who are you trying to be better than? Whose position would you like instead of that? What, what situation is making you be competitive in a bad way, in an unhealthy way? When the Lord's asking you to be collaborative, to serve together towards one common goal. So Paul is pursuing this with us. He's asking us to do this. Another phrase he uses, which is important, uh, verse 3, conceit, or some versions would say empty conceit. Empty conceit is to be conceited without reason. It's to be totally sure you're right while you're wrong. Now, everybody can go ahead and think of somebody in your life you know like this. They're always right. They're never wrong. They're totally confident without any reason. You know who that person is? Ourselves, ourselves. And I know you thought of somebody else. And right now you should repent and say, I should have thought of me first. You're busted, busted, busted. I know you thought of somebody else. You did, you did. You need to think of yourself. You need to think of yourself, all right? Start there, right? What does Jesus say? Take the plank out of your own eye and then inspect someone else's, all right? You might need to text somebody and apologize that you just sinned against them in your mind and in your heart. Busted, busted, empty conceit. It's like the people who go on American Idol and can't sing. They, they think they can sing. It's empty. There's nothing there. It's confident without reason. So are many of us. And the Lord is calling us to pursue a totally different way. Avoid selfish ambition. Avoid empty conceit. Pursue humility. So this is what Paul is after. Unity based in humility. Now, he could stop there and say this instruction is helpful. But he ramps it up a totally another level. The first four verses, he gives instruction. The last six, he gives an example. And I really, I'm begging you, please, listen to me. You need to take every day this week and read these verses over and over again. Because I do not have the time to do it justice. And the time I have spent in the text this week has completely and utterly wrecked my heart. The humility of Jesus is crazy. It's wild. And you ought to be moved by that beyond measure. So please, listen over these next 15 minutes or so. But take this. Take your scripture journal, please. If you do one thing I ever ask you to do this week, read Philippians 2, 1 through 11 every day. And just give it time to sit. Let it soak. It's amazing. It's some of the most amazing verses in the whole Bible, and I want you to just be enamored with who Jesus is, and I know that can't happen really fast, and I need you to take some time with it, and let the Lord create love in your heart for him. So verse 5, he switches to an example. He says, okay, have this mind among yourselves, I love this, which is yours in Christ Jesus. So how, 
how do we get this mind, this way of humility, to actually, for real, authentically, from the bottom of my heart, think other people are more important than me, to actually, for real, authentically, from the bottom of my heart, seek their needs more important than my own, to actually, for real, authentically, not fake, from the bottom of my heart, do nothing out of selfish ambition. How? How do I get a mind like that? Where does it come from? I don't even know how to achieve that. And he says, have this mind, which is yours in Christ. It's yours when you're united with him. Now you have the mind of Jesus and the supernatural ability to follow in his footsteps. So I want you to read this next part with me over this next few minutes and think not only is this amazing and Jesus is amazing, but he's giving it to me as an example to follow. That ought to be the same. This mind is mine in Jesus. It is the only location for true humility. You will find true humility nowhere else. Only in Jesus. Only in Jesus. Have this mind which is yours in Jesus, which is now something that's important for us to consider. The greatest way to change how you live is to change where you look. Fix your eyes on Jesus. The greatest way to change how you live is change where you look. Fix your eyes on Jesus. You have been trying to change the way you live with discipline or different steps or regiments or help or accountability. And those things are fine. They have their place. But the true ticket to life change is to change where you look. And you're so busy. And you're running around trying to be a good Christian. And you're trying to be a good person. And you're trying to serve and take care of your family. I get it. And you're trying to do this and that. And maybe here and there you can grab a little bit with the word of God. But I'm telling you, please, 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 you're doing it all wrong. The thing that has to be right is your time with Jesus. And everything else is secondary to that. It has to be because you'll never change otherwise. The Bible has told us that we fix our eyes on him, love him, adore him, pursue him. This is not the kind of Christianity that just flips through the Bible to try to get some good principles to live by. To say, okay, where's the first thing I can learn to go try to do? Which is fine in its place. God has given us the Bible that we might know him. Meet with him. Look at him. Look at him. It takes time. Just give him time. Give him space. Give him attention. Look at him. And let the beauty of Christ become to overwhelm you. Let the authority of Jesus empower you. Let the compassion of Jesus that you see in the New Testament overwhelm you. Look at him. Look at him. That's why we say so much around here. We value the presence of Jesus. We prioritize the presence of Jesus. Why? Not only because we love him and we want to be with him, because it's in the place of his presence that things begin to change. And the more I look at him, the more I'll become like him. But if I'm just trying to be a good Christian or do the things pastor told me to do or try to do nice things here and there, I won't become what God is asking me to become. It requires looking at him. And as you look at him, you'll become like him. And so are you giving him the time and the attention, not only that he deserves, but the time and attention that would be necessary for you to become like him? Are you rushing through life trying to get a devotion done, trying to get all these things done in your life and not prioritizing the presence of Jesus. I can promise you here, your change will be slow and it will sometimes be backwards. But when you look at him, it's amazing what God will do. Look at him. Give him time. Give him space. Give him attention. And your life will be changed. Look at him. Look at him. So what are we looking at? Verse 6. It says, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. 
Stop there for a second. The first thing I want you to notice, theologically, is the link he's making between the man, Jesus, and God. And just so everyone was aware at the time, and so you and me would be aware, he's taking the historical Jesus, which everybody knows was there, and which obviously they were there to see. He takes the historical Jesus, the man they could see, and they links him to God who was forever. And in this moment, he clarifies Jesus is God who was forever, who has now become a man. And so don't miss that part here. It's so essential. Don't take it for granted. The Bible is so absolutely 100% without a doubt clear that Jesus is God. Don't let anybody else tell you otherwise. So form. He has this word form here. I think it's important in, in two categories. The first word he says, form of God. So form in the Greek uh, basically meant how a thing appears to your senses. So if they were to use the word form, they would use it to describe how something appeared to your senses. And so this is important because the first part, form of God, means that he was and is God. And that if he appeared to you as that, you would recognize him as such. That's how he would appear to your senses, which is exactly what happens every time in the Bible up to this point where people encounter God and even get a snippet where they see him a little bit. They fall on their knees, they worship, and they cry, and they're like, woe is me. I don't even know what to do right now. He's God. If he appears as he is, this is his form. That's what he's saying. Jesus, in the form of God, if he chose to appear as he is, would appear as God. And you would recognize him for such without a doubt because that's what he is. But in humility, he took on the form of a servant. Listen to that. The God who has every right to show up and say, yo, I'm God, worship me. He decided to come down and look like a servant. He took the form as a servant so that when he appeared to men and to women, he looked like he was of no account. God, after all, this is God. He decided to show up as a servant. He decided to show up as a nobody. He decided to show up born in a manger. He decided to show up to parents of no account. He decided to show up in poverty. This is where Jesus decided to show up. Though he was in the form of God, which means he is God, which means that was how he would appear to your senses, he decided to appear to you and to me and to them as a servant. He took the form of a servant. Now listen, you and me, come on, we're... If we have the opportunity to step in as something even greater than we really are or something better, like if I could walk in as the president, right, or walk in as something that people don't respect as much, I would always choose probably to walk in as the most respectful thing. You each one, we want to be seen. Whatever situation it is, can I be seen as the most respectful thing that I can be seen as? Now, Jesus has every right and power to show up and to show off and to say, oh, look at me, respect me. But he chose to show up in the garments and the form of a nobody. And humility. It's crazy. God, in essence, with all the glory attached to that, he chose to appear as a servant with all the humility attached to that. If he shows up as God, glory. If he shows up as a servant, humility. And this is the way he chose. And he's giving it to us as an example. Let's keep reading. Who did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. What does this mean? It means that even though he was God, is God, and was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God or the rights as being God a thing to hold on to in this time. 
but he willingly let go of his rights and status, not his being. He never stopped being God. He was always God. God cannot not be God. But what he did was he let go of his, his rights and his status as God. That when you see him, you ought to worship him as such without even a choice. He decided to let go of that and to show up as a man, becoming the God-man. And listen, this is so important. He did not consider his rights more important than the relationship. He released his rights so he could restore a relationship. How many of you right now are holding on to your rights and being right to the very destruction of the relationship? Right now, come on, this is so normal for us in our life. How many of you have a divided relationship right now that could be solved if you let go of your rights? If you stopped having to be right? If you consider that other person more significant than yourself? Jesus gives us the example. The only one who deserves the rights is the one who released them. Why? For the sake of a relationship. To restore it and to make it new. Now how crazy would it be for us who do not deserve rights Try to hold on to them, to the destruction of our relationships. Jesus says, no, 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 this way is better. He released his rights as God in the position and statue, stature of it, not in being, but he released his rights for a time being so that he could become like us. Because listen to this, he made himself accessible by making himself low. Accessible. He made himself accessible by making himself low. Continuing on verse 7, by being born in the likeness of men, being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Continues the same thing, being born in the likeness of men, being found in human form. Now, theologically, it's important, side note, that this becoming right here, this being, has the connotation of a beginning. As in, he was not man, and he became man. He added man to himself. The being, verse 5, which may not be in your version, it may not, but being in the form of God, it might say was. That being is essential and eternal. So this is how we go. Though him being God forever also became a man. See? The God-man. He comes together. Him being God did not have to stop being God, and he was never less than God. But he added, in addition, manhood to his godness. And now forever he reigns as the God-man. Now, if that's a little bit too much for you, that's a good thing because it's God. Okay? Some of y'all get so confused and so afraid of not understanding everything. If you understood everything, then you would be God. Why are you so scared of mystery? Stop. It's okay. Can you, can you analyze the Trinity? No. I have a phrase I tell my sons, and beyond that, that's it. God is three in one. Uh, three persons, one God. That's it. Father, Spirit, and Son. Three in one. Father, Spirit, and Son. Okay. Is it a contradiction? No. Do I understand it? No. Is it true? Yes. Does God say things that don't make sense to me? Of course he does. He's God. Do y'all get this, man? Some of y'all get so uptight about not knowing everything. I'm like, then that would make you God. Why, why are you so afraid? Like, He's the God man. Yes. How do you know? He rose from the dead. Okay. 
It's not a blind leap of faith. It's not stupid. But it doesn't mean you have to know everything. Release that. Empty conceit. Confident without reason. You suppose that you can know everything about God. Come on. That's what eternity is for. You know what eternity is? You know why eternity lasts forever? Because God lasts forever. And he will totally always be revealing himself to you. Forever. Do you get that? You will never get to the end of knowing God. Isn't that awesome? That's why it's wonderful. Not because there's no pain or you get to play golf forever. I don't even know. None of that was what makes it wonderful. It's God's there and he just reveals himself every day more and more. You know how sometimes you're like in the Bible, you're at a worship service, and you just get it for a second. You're like, whoa, like God really is who he is. That's amazing. Imagine that feeling every second of every day forever. That's what heaven is. So come on, release it. He's the God man. He's Trinity, Father, Spirit, and Son. It's okay. You can trust that. So Jesus, off my side rant about everybody having to know everything, back onto the Bible. Jesus, he humbled himself. We saw this in the beginning. Once again, I want you to learn from Jesus. Humility is a habit. Jesus made a choice. And he chose to humble himself. Now, here, look at this. How did he humble himself? Look at the text. He humbled himself by, so all these connecting words you would want to understand. How did he do it? Well, he humbled himself by becoming obedient. So what's the essence of humility? Obedience. Not attitude, disposition, feeling. It's obedience. Humility is an act of obedience. Why? This is, you should write this down because you need to live your life by this because you can go pursue humility today if you do this. Humility is about obedience. Why? Because it requires submission to the will of another, God, to sacrifice for the good of someone else, people. If I'm to be humble, then I simply must be obedient to God because that would require submission to him which is a no to me and a yes to him, your way is better. I submit and I sacrifice for you. So I'm humble before God, I submit. Your way is better. I'm humble before people, I put myself under you, I sacrifice for you. Humility is an act of obedience. So if Jesus is described, who was perfect, perfect character, perfect feelings, perfect attitude, perfect disposition, but his humility was defined by action, obedience. Obedience. It's an act of obedience. Submit to God. Stop resisting his way. Sacrifice for someone else. Put yourself under them, and the Lord will honor your humility. Because as we're going to continue to see, what goes down must come up, which is true in Jesus and true for us. So how did he obey? To the point of death. Obedient to the point of death. It was a full obedience without any lack. It was a perfect Full to the very end, no quit, no give up, obedience. What kind of death? Death on a cross. It was not a natural death. It was not a comfortable death. Jesus came and he died on a cross. Here's the crazy word, on purpose. You have to remember this. Jesus was not required to do this. He did not have to do this. He didn't even have to come at the time of the, of the earth when they did crosses. This was, none of that was necessary, but Jesus chose to do it this way. He chose to become a baby. He chose to grow up. He chose to go get crucified on a cross, a gruesome death that was not only gruesome and painful, but also to the Jewish people who he was a part of was an embarrassment. To die on a cross meant you were cursed by God. 
So Jesus chose the most painful physically way to die, the most embarrassing way to die in his heritage, then obviously the very worst thing after that is he receives the wrath of God for all of humanity. And he chooses to do this. He puts himself low so that he can do this for you and for me. It's a terrible, 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 terrible thing. And listen, this is amazing, okay? I would call this Jesus' rock bottom experience. But listen to me. I have some good news. Jesus hit rock bottom so he could be the rock upon which you build your life. So he could be the rock upon which you build your life. He went under you so he could support you. This is why the Bible calls him the cornerstone. He's the foundation. He's the most essential brick, the whole thing. He's the thing upon which the whole people of God build their life. And if he doesn't go low, you cannot go high. Because the way down is up. This is what Jesus is doing. It's amazing. He goes rock bottom so he could be the rock upon which you build your life. In his humiliation, you get restoration. He dies so that you can live. You get this? Jesus goes low so that you can rise up with him. Jesus dies so that you can live through him. Jesus is humiliated so you could be restored. Come on. This is a Jesus. And listen to me. He did not have to do it this way. He was not required to do this way. Nobody can tell Jesus what to do. He did not have to do it this way. But he chose to take the form of a servant to die on the cross for your sins and for my sins. Therefore, verse 9, because what goes down must come up. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The law of glory. What goes down must come up. This is not only amazingly true about Jesus, but remember, he gives us this as an example. Matthew 23, 12 says, whoever exalts himself will be humbled. Whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Humility is the essential characteristic to operate in the kingdom of God. And Jesus gives us the example. And if he can do it, who has every right to not do it, then what is hindering us from following in his example? Jesus was highly exalted. Jesus Christ is Lord. I love this part because now we see Jesus take the form of that which he originally was. And he returns to prominence, authority, and status as God while maintaining his God-manness. This is a fun truth. There's a man in the Trinity. Jesus will forever be the God-man will forever be able to sympathize with you and be like you and understand you. And he does all of this. What's the end result? Here's the so that. So that, why does Jesus come and die? Why does Jesus act in humility? Why does he do any of this? Why is Philippians 2 here? What's the purpose? Why am I sitting in this room right now? So that at the name of Jesus, your knee would bow and your tongue would confess. Why did Jesus do this? To be exalted, to be worshipped, to be honored, to be loved. The appropriate response to him as he is now is worship. 
Jesus ought to be worshipped, adored, praised, loved. And some of you are indifferent and over it and doubtful. And Jesus is calling you back to this place to say, Jesus Christ is Lord. These are the four most important words in the, Old, in the New Testament for what people were trying to explain. It was the four words that explained everything they believed. Caesar wasn't Lord. No other gods were Lord. No other boss or family member was Lord. They were not Lord. Jesus Christ is Lord. Jesus Christ alone. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No man goes to the Father except through him. Jesus Christ is Lord. That's it. End of discussion. No debate. It doesn't matter what you think. He's Lord. And you know, I love this truth about it because the title Lord is not what gives him authority. The title Lord is what represents who he already is. It's an appropriate designation for what he already is. Jesus Christ is Lord. Now listen to me. As we see here, Jesus lived a perfect life. He died on the cross. He rose from the dead so that every knee would bow and tongue would confess. Give me two more minutes of your full undivided attention. I want you to look at me. Two more minutes. You have two choices in life, two. I'm gonna narrow your whole life down for you, very simple. You have two choices in life. You can humble yourself now and by choice submit to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Or in your pride, you can resist. But one day you will be commanded to Listen to me, please. Your whole eternity rests on this. You either submit to Jesus as Lord today by choice, or you do so later by command. And if you wait till later, it'll be too late. Some of you came into this room and you resist this idea. You resist this idea that I must submit to God. You resist this idea that Jesus is the only way. You resist this idea that I, I, I'm, I'm of no account and I only exist by the grace of God. You resist this idea and you refuse to submit to him. And I'm just here to tell you, you're fighting against the wind because one day you will no longer be given a choice and it will be too late. Jesus Christ is Lord, whether you like it or not. Jesus Christ is Lord, whether somebody has told you that before or not. Jesus Christ is Lord, no matter what anybody else thinks in the world. Jesus Christ is Lord, no matter how many little G gods there are to serve. Jesus Christ is Lord, no matter what culture will tell you. Jesus Christ is Lord, and you can either submit to him by choice now, or you can do it later by command. And with all my heart, I'm pleading with you today that you would submit to him by choice. Repent from your sins. Trust in Jesus as your Savior. He died so that your knee would bow and your tongue would confess. So do that today, please, and do not wait. I'm gonna pray for us. Why don't you close your eyes and bow your heads? And I want you to take a minute now to consider where you're at with the Lord. Just between you and God, your heart and his heart. 
Have you yet submitted to his lordship? Do you profess Jesus Christ as Lord? Is God calling you to do that today? I want you to do this. If that's true of you, I want you to tell the Lord that and say, I repent from my sin. I'm sorry that I ever tried to be Lord of my own life. I humble myself before you as my creator. I believe in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus for my sins. And I trust in you alone today to save my soul. I do it today by choice so that I won't have to do it just by command. So take the next minute and tell him that. Maybe some of you in the room just need to tell him, I submit to your will. I've been resisting too much. I know what you've been asking me to do. And in my pride, I've been rejecting it. And the Lord has been working in your heart. What goes down must come up. So submit to God. Take the next minute and submit to God. Whatever that looks like for you. Submit to God. Submit to God. Submit to God. Continuing as you are, heads bowed, eyes closed. If you're here today and you would say, today is the day I submit to God and I trust him. I want you to go ahead and raise your hand. I want to pray over you. So go ahead and raise your hand. If in humility you say, today is the day I submit to God by choice because of who he is so that I will not have to do it later by command. I'm going to pray for you. Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you for the life, the death, and resurrection of Jesus. We thank you, Lord, that you've given us the opportunity to be saved and to know you. You are Lord, Lord. That is what we profess. Thank you for your humility. Thank you, Lord, that you became a man so that you could die for us. Thank you, Lord, that you were raised from the dead and that now you reign forever in power and authority. We submit to you now, Lord. We submit to your leadership. We submit to your lordship. We submit to your way. God, give us humility. And would you create unity in this church, God, as we collectively, together, follow you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Why don't you stand? Let's respond to the Lord.